Welcome to another episode of Chapel Hill Thrill. I'm your host, Jacob Karabatsis. Today, I have a classmate, special guest joining me, Jeremiah Holloway, covering the football team, basketball team, other sports. If it's Tar Heels, he's probably talking about it. My God. How you living, Jeremiah? Doing good, man. Doing good. Appreciate you having me on. Nice to reconnect as well, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's been a while, man. Yes, sir. The, creative, the creative sports writing days. What a fun time. Yes, sir. Hey, shout out to Tim Crothers, man. <laughs> <laughs> Legend. Yes, sir. So, obviously, you know, escaped with an overtime win against App. Not what you what you want when you're an 18-point favorite at home. Um mm-hmm. Little different than last year's app game. You know, we were three point underdogs at app last year. This app team doesn't really have the talent as last year's squad or really any of the previous two or three squads. Still a great program. They're always going to fight tough in state battle. But, you know, what, what was your biggest takeaway, biggest flaw? from this performance that that warrants a little bit of concern for the future of this team? Yeah, I think it kind of went back a little bit to just the end of the South Carolina game. If you kind of remember, you know, just just from a standpoint of of finishing games out. So, you know, it seemed like in that South Carolina game, you had, you know, obviously the two second half interceptions and you obviously you you hold on. You're up 31-14. You throw the first one, give a field goal. The second one didn't yield any points for South Carolina, but – you know, it's just opportunities like that where if UNC wants to take the next step, you got to be able to put teams away. So um, the app game was close the entire time. Uh, you know, they still had opportunities to kind of put it away. I know they, you know, they missed that field goal late. And, you know, but even, I mean, if you remember early on, I mean, App State was, you know, missed field goal away from a 10-point lead in that game. So, you know, it's they felt like it, it felt like they had control um, probably more often than not, you know, obviously UNC was able to pull it out in overtime. But I think the main thing is just being able to get ahead and just put teams away as soon as you can. Um, you know, it's funny, every time they play App State, it's always a close game. Like, you would expect a – I mean, App State plays hard. They've had successful seasons in the past. I mean, the year they beat UNC in 2019, they were, like, probably a better team, And if you really think about it, you know. But I, I will say, I, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, can UNC in moments like that? Because, I mean, there's not many freebies on their schedule moving forward, you know, because conference play starts in a couple of weeks. Minnesota, that's a Big Ten team with a really good defense. So, you know, there's there's not going to be some. But here's the thing. You're sitting here 2-0. That's exactly where you want to be if you're UNC. So um, if you can find ways to win games, that's great, but you're going to have to – there are some opponents you're just going to have to put away super early. There are some opponents you're just going to have to go up multiple, you know, touchdowns on. They did that against South Carolina to their credit. 
Uh, but you want to, you know, continue to have more games like that moving forward if you want to contend for the ACC. An ACC that's honestly a little bit more open than previously expected. Um, you know, we'll see if Clemson can bounce back from that, you know, week one loss. But, you know, UNC's picked to finish third. They already look a little bit better than Clemson. And then, you know, a team like Miami had a solid win last week. Duke obviously already has one. NC State, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see. The UConn win was decent. But, I mean, there's, you know, there's definitely, you know, hope for UNC should they try to contend for that uh, for that title. But they got to continue to just stay consistent throughout. Um, the fact you're able to escape App State, like you said, like it, it really was an escape uh, and get that win. I think that positions you pretty well. Yeah, it's it's really tough because you don't want to complain about a win, especially, you know, at the end of the day. It's an in-state rivalry. App's always going to come to play. But it's just, to me, it's no excuse. It seems an unfortunate common theme that this group has had really the whole entire Mac era is that they just struggle with playing down to their to their competition. It's It's been a theme that they either lose games that they shouldn't lose or that it's just way too close in games that should not be close. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the thing that concerned me the most was the front seven looked absolutely incredible against South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were they were flying around nine sacks. And the secondary was still a weak point. I mean, Spencer still almost threw for 400 yards on them, even though – the front seven was really controlling the line of scrimmage. Then this week, we kind of got back to a little bit more what we saw last year where they gave up 220 rushing yards, no sacks, only four TFLs. I mean, what did you see from, you know, week one to week two in the front seven that just changed? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think South Carolina's offensive line certainly has a lot of questions to it. We 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 understand that they really have no run game to speak of right now, um, just because of their their whole running back situation. So you had a team that was better running the football. You knew they'd be better running the football than South Carolina was. Um, honestly, when I watched UNC play on Saturday, I didn't get the vibe that they were overlooking App State necessarily. I didn't even really get the vibe that they weren't motivated i don't think it was that at all i just think app state had a game plan offensively that they were just bet it app state honestly on both sides of the field just kind of felt a little bit more prepared like you know from a from a game plan standpoint like they just kind of knew they really just looked at what unc did the prior week and was like okay you know this is how they kind of were able to do what they did we're just gonna you know have enough counters to that and, you know, again, UNC came away with the win, but I, I still kind of feel like at least in that first half, maybe even three quarters, App State just seemed a little bit more prepared for what UNC was going to do. I thought Cayman Rutgers still had a good game. I thought Des Evans was probably the best defensive player against App State, um, certainly in that, you know, front seven. But, yeah, App State, you know, it, it just gave – it just presented – they presented a challenge that South Carolina just didn't present. So just naturally – that was what was able to happen. I thought um, Joey Aguilar, he was able to kind of get the ball out a little bit quicker. I thought that, um, 
I mean, even when you kind of talk to them post game, they were talking about how he was able to. They moved the pocket with him a little bit. They had him on the go a little bit. UNC got pressure. They just weren't able to bring him down and get that sack. They're going to need to be able to do that. But I mean, there's value in having the pressure. I mean, the interception that Don Chapman got was a result uh, was a result of some of that pressure. But I mean, you still want to be able to cause those plays. You still want to be able to get the two or three sacks a game if you can. Um, you know, so. They weren't going to get nine sacks. They're probably not going to get nine sacks for the rest of the year. Like, you know, we know that's not necessarily the number, but can you get two to three a game? I think that's what they need to kind of be working toward. And so, yeah, I think a lot of it was just, you know, the offensive personnel that App State was able to use just a little bit more, you know, uh, it matched up a little bit better with what UNC has over there. Yeah, and it's, you know, when you're able to run the football – um, it just makes it that much harder because your scheme, when your scheme is working, and like you said, App State's game plan offensively, the way that they implemented their rush attack, I mean, they only averaged five yards a carry, but it was very, it was very run clock. It was very we're going to we're going to pull left, we're going to pull right, we're going to commit to it, and we're going to commit hard. So it, it was a great game plan and I do think that's that's ultimately what what does show me that UNC, you know, comes into the game a little more prepared. They probably win with flying colors because like you said, I mean, majority of the game App State was the better football team. I mean, honestly, and I really think the the one reason UNC was able to come away with it is just because one, they're more talented, and two, they have Drake May, and three, this is the first positive I want to hit on. Amarion Hampton, mm. you know, <laughs> British British is out. He finally gets the game as as the fe- as the feature back. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He looked like prime AP. So like just being in the box, like just just give us the just give us the rundown of what it was like to watch Omarion run the football. Yeah, man. I mean, he was just out there bringing, you know, guys were just on his back. He's still moving the extra two, three yards afterward. You know, Amarion Hampton, uh, he only averaged about 2.3 yards of carry against South Carolina. Um, British books, obviously, that was his game. You know. When you have a guy like that scoring, and he, and he had three touchdowns to go along with all those yards. I mean, it was just – it was a dominant performance. There's just no other way around it. Um, you know, you talk to those guys post-game, even when you talk to Mac Brown on Monday, you know, we're asking, like, man, like, you know, it seemed like App State was kind of on some of that deep pass stuff, and they were, you had to force them short. And, you know, you get Drake and Mac Brown, like, hey, I mean, we had a guy run for 230 yards, man. Like, you know, we're going to – kind of lean on him as much as we can, which I definitely understand, you know, but you're so used to what UNC, what they were able to do last year, relying on Drake May getting three touchdowns a game. Well, I mean, you had Hampton doing what he did. So, you know, it was it was a great performance for him. You know, last year he had a few, you know, kind of big games early on and trailed off a little bit. So if he can get to where he's consistent, UNC has talked a lot about, you know, they feel like they have depth in that running back room. I mean, even Caleb Hood had a touchdown on, on, on Saturday. Can you get to that depth? Because it seems like British Brooks is going to be practicing this week and they want him to be able to play. Now you just need to get to a point where you can have 
more than one running back per game, getting you four more yards a carry. Um, it's probably not as, you know, by committee as I maybe would have thought. I mean, it looks like they want British to be their guy, but I think Hampson coming in having that game yesterday, I mean, that does a lot too. So, you know, when, they, when they're both there and they're both able to kind of have, you know, display some consistency, whatever, you know, I think, I think moving on down the line, um, you just want to see them be able to kind of go to both of those guys. And, you know, I think that does a lot for offensive versatility. If you can kind of cycle guys in and out of there, you have two running backs you have to account for that opens up the passing game by itself. Um, so, you know, an incredible game for, you know, from Marion Hampton for sure. And so, you know, now the key is to see, can he, you know, obviously he's, you know, 234 is not the number, but, you know, can he, you know, have, can he, can they depend on him to get a hundred yards when they need him to, uh, or even, you know, 75 or 80 or whatever the case may be. So that's something to keep an eye on down the line, especially as British Brooks gets back in the lineup. Yeah. It's UNC's backfield is, is really, it's just a beautiful thing to, to witness as a fan because, a lot of teams struggle to have a feature back. Mm-hmm. A, lot, a lot of teams in college especially struggle to have multiple backs. Unless you get to the top, top programs, your Bamas, your Georgias, you know, of course they're going to have multiple. UNC genuinely, I mean, when you get British back in the mix and you've got British Omarion, you've got Caleb, you've got three guys who are really explosive, really physical, really big. And that doesn't even bring up what Elijah can do out of the backfield catching. And then it's like George Petaway is not even on the running back depth chart anymore because that room is just so deep. It's, it's amazing. But you brought up another point that I really want to talk about. Like, you know, fans are, I don't necessarily, I don't think fans are necessarily criticizing Drake, but I think they're just a little shocked Mm -hmm. and, I think it's really important for people to understand how much different Chip Lindsey's scheme is from yeah. Phil Longo's. I mean, Phil Longo's an air raid. Chip Lindsey's balanced. And it's like Drake and Max said, they just want to win football games. Yeah. I know as fans, it's easy for us to get selfish and be like, but we want Drake to put up Heisman numbers. Like, of yeah. course we want Drake to put up Heisman numbers. And there will be games that he does. But at the end of the day, they're focused on trying to go undefeated, trying to win the ACC, trying to get to a playoff. I mean, he was at 73 attempts through two games last year. He's only at 62 this year. So kind of give give the people a breakdown of, of just a little bit, you know, what's different about this team schematically under Chip Lindsey as opposed to the Phil Longo air raid. Yeah, well, I mean, even well, going back to just their desire to win every week. I mean, you got to think you were a game away from a lot of things last year. So you were a game away from ten wins. You were a game away from AC championship win, and you were a game away from winning a bowl game. So you know your your focus, as much as you know, some of the fans want Drake to win a Heisman, and you know because they haven't had a Heisman Trophy winner ever. Uh, you know, so I mean, Drake was the first ACC player of the year that they had since Lawrence Taylor. So, I mean, that just kind of puts it in perspective for you. But Chip Lindsey, um, I wish I had the exact number, but, you know, I saw somewhere that, you know, Phil Longo's, you know, last year's offense was more high scoring than the highest 
that Chip Lindsey ever had, you know, as a as an OC prior to UNC, things like 34 for Longo, 31, 32 for Chip Lindsey. To be completely honest with you, I think Chip Lindsey's done pretty well with the play calling. I thought it was better in South Carolina. The thing was, I, I thought that um, you know, just the theme of that game last week was, you know, we'll just try everything we try against South Carolina. On both sides of the ball, we'll try everything we try against South Carolina, and you know, we should yield some success. And I just think it just the matchups just weren't quite the same in, in order to do that. But I thought Chip, he's not a guy that's gonna necessarily put the ball in harm's way. I mean, he knows he has Drake, but, you know, well, I mean, you mentioned the pass attempts a second ago. When the running game is doing what it's doing, you're not going to throw it as much. You're going to, you know, try to milk that clock as much as you can. Um, we'll see how much the, you know, the running clock rule, now, they, that, now that they have that where it runs after first downs now, does that have a factor? I don't really know. I, th- I think the sample size is still a little bit too small, but I think it's something to think about. But one thing you have to consider Last year, you lose Josh Downs and Antoine Green to the NFL. You go to the transfer portal, you bring in Tez Walker and Nate McCollum. Tez Walker is deemed ineligible, and that's a story for another day. Nate McCollum is injured. He misses the first game, works his way back a little bit. He only played nine snaps last week. They're hoping to bring him out this week. So you don't – Kobe Pesor has done well. He's leading the team in catches right now. But but you're, what you were originally planning as an offense – to get those two guys as involved as you thought they would be getting a guy that can take the top off the defense, as they say, you know, a, a speed guy, someone that could have put up, you know, 11, 1200 yards, maybe uh, definitely over a thousand yards. And then another guy like Nate McCollum. I mean, it would that would have opened up life for Nate too. Now you're putting in, you know, Kobe Pesor who stepped up a lot in big game. The thing about Kobe Pesor is interesting. He's not even averaging, 10 yards of catch right now. So he's getting a lot of the touches, but he's not getting a ton of, he had a deep, he, uh, the South Carolina touchdown he had, he was kind of, you know, streaking to the end zone a little bit. Um, so he's had some opportunities, but for the most part, it, it, it hasn't been, you know, you know, you know, really long stuff down the field. It's usually been, you know, shorter screen stuff, but he's leading the team in catches. Uh, Gavin Blackwell is actually the uh, leader in snaps for the wide receivers this year. Um, which you wouldn't necessarily expect. J.J. Jones has had some, uh, you know, I mean, yesterday, not yesterday, but Saturday, he had five catches. So I think a lot of the what you see in the receiving game is just a product of, hey, like, you know, things have not gone as planned as far as, you know, them having Tez and them having Nate. That just hasn't been the case. So I think they're really – because they've practiced. you got to remember, this whole spring they've been practicing like Tez is the number one receiver – and then working in Nate along with the rest of those guys. They've been practicing that way the entire – since they got them, <laughs> since they got them. So they're really readjusting now uh, and, and, and trying to figure that flow out. I think they can. They don't have a shortage of offensive weapons when you throw the tight ends in there, the running backs the way they're running the ball. They don't have a shortage of weapons to me. It's just – especially because Nate is coming back. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the right, you know, synergy with those guys, knowing when and how – you're going to use them. But I mean, you know, I think when you look at Drake May's numbers, I mean, a lot of that outside stuff kind of factors in. Um, He's had some throws where he's looked really sharp and he's still able to move and scramble, which is going to help that offense. But um, I think you have to put all that stuff in consideration when you kind of look at his numbers and maybe what his potential Heisman resume could look like by the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to for me is that, we do have plenty 
of weapons. But the clear thing that the team is missing right now is Tez was going to be the downfield threat, the size, the speed. JJ's been great, but he just doesn't quite have the breakaway speed needed for that downfield receiver role. Mm -hmm. And you can just tell, like, that's really the one thing the offense is missing that they had last year with Antoine. And, you know, it sucks. And that's what I do want to hit on for the last 10 minutes or so is, you know, if you're if you're not living under a rock, you've probably heard about the Tess Walker situation. He's been deemed ineligible. It's one of the crappier rulings I can think of the NCAA making in quite some time, and that isn't me being a biased UNC alum. That's not what it is at all. If this was happening at any program, I don't care if it's Duke or State, I would feel the same exact way. Like, the kids should be playing football. Now, Jeremiah, he he was at the meeting as long as he was allowed to be on Monday <laughs> until they, until they closed go, the yeah. doors. But, um, you know, I'm just going to let him speak on it. He's very, very tapped into the situation. So give the people the, the ultimate rundown and latest updates on Tez Walker, man. Yeah, so – yeah, you know, keeping up with it as as much as I can for sure. Um, shout out to our guy Greg Barnes over at Inside Carolina. He had a really great article last week, really breaking down the exact timeline and stuff. So, you know, I'm I'm not gonna you know overly summarize because I know a lot of people have you know obviously kept up with the Tez Walker. You know, transferring from uh, you know Central to Kent State. They didn't play at Central. Kent State plays two years. Comes to UNC you know, to be closer to his family, things like that. So, you know, UNC is, is, is fighting that right now. Uh, Greg Barnes, um, he was re he revealed uh, in his article that, you know, UNC had appealed uh, like four times already, uh, you know, to the to the NCAA. So Tez Walker finally got in front of a committee. This would have been not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before. No, I'm sorry. This would have been, yeah, this past Thursday. Uh, the, the weeks are getting away from me a little bit. But he finally was able to, you know, via video conference, make his case to the NCAA or a, a committee uh, within the NCAA. And that same day, they upheld that decision and decided that, you know, he was not going to be eligible for the rest of the year. So what happened yesterday, Monday, uh, there was a emergency board of trustees meeting. Um, so right after Mac Brown was done talking, he went up there and I went up there as well. Uh, I was right there on UNC's campus. Um, so some of the most of the trustees were virtual, but they zoomed into the room. And so, so a, a couple of the trustees were were present there in person. Uh, essentially, what UNC is doing is they're kind of bringing in, you know, some legal counsel and using their own legal counsel as well to kind of identify what the next options are for Tess Walker. Now, part of what I'm trying to do right now is kind of figure out exactly what all of that entails. Now, Mac Brown was talking in his press conference of, hey, you know, this kid, he's slated to graduate December of 2024. So, you know, what does he want to do? Does he want to start working out with pro scouts right now and kind of get himself in front of scouts and try to get to NFL draft for next year? You know, does he want to stay, wait a little bit? You know, what does he want to do? He was saying that he actually, he was saying that Tez went home that weekend that they made that decision. He went home to Charlotte and, you know, 
uh, I guess, you know, to be around his family, things like that. Now, he did end up going to that state, was an honorary captain. But right now, they're just trying to figure out the best steps forward for uh, for Tez, um, you know, and, and trying to really, I guess, fight the situation, you know, as, as much as they can. Um, and so that's kind of where it is right now. Um, the NCAA, as of right now, I mean, it's made its decision. So had UNC not fought this, you know, we could just say, all right, you know, close the book, whatever, whatever. But clearly they're they're still looking into what they can kind of do with Tez. And you mentioned that, um, you know, if this is happening any other, any other school, you'd feel the same way. I mean, in a lot of ways, it is happening at other schools. You know, now the situations are a bit different. You know, they're not quite the same as what Tez is going through. I want to, you know, make that clear. But they're, I mean, the same day you had Florida State's, uh, you know, Darnell Jackson, I believe his last name, he had that situation. And there have been a few others that, you know, when I kind of do my research on it, you know, similar situations kind of happened around all the same time. Um, you know, I think the NCAA is just kind of looking at it like, you know, well, we want to be able to say that, you know, we put our foot down on this, we're making it more strict. But, you know, I, I think I think the, the, the when they announced the rule, it, it just for Tez, he enrolled in classes already when before they announced the rule. And so, you know, I, I think it was a sudden change. To be honest with you, the rule itself is fine. Okay. I guess the rule itself is fine. I just think the way they're enforcing it right now is it's a little bit uh I don't really agree with it. I think it's a little bit of a power trip, you know, but that's just kind of my, you know, two cents just just looking at it. But uh yeah, so that's where Tez Walker is right now. Just, you know, they're they're trying to figure out what's best for him and, and just the different all the different things that they're gonna be able to do down the line. Yeah, and I agree. I'm perfectly fine with with the rules again because you know a kid if he's if he's just tr- deciding to transfer every single year. I mean, absolutely, there should be penalties. The issue I have is that I feel like you said it's a power trip, and they're just trying so hard to make it look like, okay, we made this new rule. We're going to be sticklers about it. We're going to be serious about it. So we're just simply not going to let anyone that is in this situation play football. And I think there's just certain situations that are bigger. And I know that they tried to cite comments that were made by Tez and by Mac during the transfer process and – they tried to cite that as their part of their reasoning as to why they're not allowing him to play, which fair game, I guess, but I also think it's equally crappy to overlook the actuality of the situation just to try to defend your decision. But I mean, yeah, it sucks. I'm I'm glad that Mac and them are at least making the choice to still support Tez and still figure out what avenue he wants to take. They're going to help him if he wants to go pro. They're going to help him if he decides to come back and try to play at UNC. I mean, there's, there's, they're, they're letting, they're looking out for the best interest of the player. And I have respect for that. I mean, there's plenty of coaches, plenty of programs that would get this decision and, you know, complain 
about Tez not being able to play and then probably not do too much after that. And at least they're looking out for his best interest. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and real quick on that, I mean, you just have to kind of consider a lot of why they're fighting is because Tez operated in a world where what he did was perfectly okay. Like he operated in a under the he operated under the rules that was provided to him at the time that he made the decision that he made. Um, so that's you know I think that's a lot of where UNC's frustration is really coming from. And then you have to also consider you know they they put in the steps to you know find the different documentation to send in and and, and everything like that. So you know they've you know put in some steps. And like I said, shout out to. Greg Barnes for just, you know, all the information he's been able to find on this man. But I mean, they've, they've really put in the steps to, you know, to try to make their appeal and make their case. NCAA just hasn't approved it. Um, but, you know, I think that's, you know, some that I just, what is the fallout from this? And, you know, cause I mean, next year, this probably isn't something that, you know, not necessarily, not Tez specifically, I'm, I'm talking about just, the transfer process right now. I mean, since the rule is in place, I mean, it's probably not something anyone's going to have to deal with moving forward. I mean, I don't know, you know, I we, we never know. We never know. But I, I don't anticipate, you know, from a nationwide standpoint, it's something that really has to be concerned. So this is really, this is like the definition of a one-off, really. Like, this is not something that's really happened like that. I mean, it's just so, you know, I, I think just moving forward, like, what are the ramifications of this? And just yeah what what happens next you know yeah i think that's really the key they just have to the rule is fine but there has to be extra framework built in around it to really make sure that something like this doesn't happen again because it's it's just really not especially there's just so many issues with it man like he never actually played at central he wanted to be closer to his mom. He was already enrolled in classes, and he what he was doing was legal under the set of rules that were there when he transferred. So, you know, like you said, it's happening other places, but it, it'd be real easy for Tez to feel like the NCAA is trying to target him and make an example out of him. And that's really that, – that's, that's probably not the case, and it – it could be the case, could not be the case, but I could understand why he would feel that way. And it sucks, but, you know, it's going to be free, Tez, always. Hopefully something happens, some breakthrough happens. I mean, we don't know, man. Only time's going to tell. But before we get out of here, Minnesota on Saturday, real quick, what's your prediction? My prediction, I think you would see – I do think UNC will win the game. I do think they'll go into Pittsburgh 3-0. and um, As far as a, you know, a score, I mean, I was – I thought App State, uh, even knowing what I knew about their previous history, I was like, man, you know, they should beat App State by multiple scores. That's not what happened. They did come away with, come away with the win. Minnesota is not a great offensive team. I think that aids UNC. If UNC gives up more than 20 points, I'd be – little bit surprised uh you know they because minnesota hasn't played the greatest i mean they played nebraska only gave up 10 to them they just played eastern michigan i mean they give i mean it is what it is they only scored 25 against eastern michigan i'd like to think that unc's defense at least has more talent than eastern michigan um you're playing at home this is a game unc should win 
I, I don't know that UNC gets 40 points, but they should win this game relatively comfortably on Saturday. So, um, you know, but again, that's just next step in process of them attempting to get back in, you know, the conversation to win the ACC. Um, so that's a game that they absolutely need to win. And I, I don't think they'll have too many issues doing so. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think, I think the app game happening before this game is going to be good for them because, you know, they're going to come out prepared and I, it's it, Minnesota's going to play Big Ten football. They're gonna they're gonna run it. It's gonna be ugly. They're gonna try to muck the game up. I think that UNC will actually kind of use the the run game a little bit to their advantage this week because I do think a Big Ten team they're gonna try to prevent you from running the ball. So I think Drake is gonna have one of those special games Saturday. I really think they're going to take care of business pretty easily. And, yeah, I mean, 3-0 and going into pit. Then if you get out of pit with a win, you get my you get Syracuse. Miami at home looking like it's going to be pretty tough. Mm. But if you can get past that, if you can get past the Miami game, if you get past pit and Miami, I'd say before you get to that kind of grueling final three stretch, the, those those middle four games are pretty pretty winnable, pretty easy games. So it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. Man, I appreciate you coming on, Jeremiah. I know Sorry. things are things are busy right now with <laughs> football season in stride, all the test stuff going on, trying to cover it. But you know, really appreciate it, my man, Jeremiah. He's he's one of the most talented young journalists in the game. So before you get up before you get up out of here, man, give us a plug. Give us give us your at. Let the people know where to find your work. Yeah, my Twitter is JX Holloway. Um, well, my ex, I don't know, you know. Uh, but that's that's you know that platform uh, JX Holloway, and so you can go to InsideCarolina.com. It'll route you to you know all the stuff that we're working on. Um, you know, you'll see my name on there. You'll see. You know, all the, you know, talented guys we have on there, the Ab Smiths and Greg Barnes and our intern, Evan Rogers, Jalen Harrell, all those guys, so many more to name. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm leaving too many people out. But, yeah, InsideCaroline.com is where you can find it. Um, and, yeah, just be sure to kind of keep up with us and, you know, rock with us for the, the rest of the season. Absolutely. I mean, if you are a UNC fan, UNC diehard, Inside Carolina is a must. And that's just a fact. If if you're not following them, you're missing out on a lot. But, you know, we appreciate Jeremiah stopping by. Big game Saturday. Hopefully the guys take care of business. And until next time, we'll see y'all. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.